NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Patty Hirsch. And I'm Adrian Ma. Over the last week, we have seen a dramatic scenario play out in Russia. Yeah, last Friday, groups from the Wagner Group, the shadowy quasi-military organization apparently headed by Yevgeny Prigozhin, were seen marching towards Moscow. Russia's capital was put on alert. President Vladimir Putin accused Prigozhin of treason, and there were reports of clashes between Wagner troops and the Russian military. And for a moment, it looked as though Russia might have the beginnings of a coup on its hands. But by Monday morning, it was all over. The Wagner troops were heading back to their bases, Prigozhin had fled the country, and Putin appeared to be offering the would-be rebels amnesty in return for signing a new contract with the Kremlin. This was a bewildering sequence of events that's raised all sorts of questions about what this might mean for Putin and for Ukraine. Here at The Indicator, we're interested in those things too, of course. But what really caught our eye was this mention of contracts. And it turns out that contracts are at the heart of what this mysterious organization, the Wagner Group, is and does. So on today's show, we'll take a look at the Wagner Group and get a sense of how it operates as a business. That's coming up after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. Discover Babson College's Master of Science in Management in Entrepreneurial Leadership Program, an intensive nine-month journey that equips recent college graduates with practical skills for today's dynamic business landscape. Tackle real-world challenges and emerge with a problem-solving mindset. Whether you choose to start your own business or innovate within a corporation, a master's from Babson will help launch your career forward. Apply today at babson.edu slash msleader. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Certified Financial Planners. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, Certified Financial Planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org. Companies do business under contract with governments all the time. Here in the U.S., a construction company might get a government contract to build a bridge, or an apparel company might get a contract to make uniforms for government workers. And this also happens with the military. So-called private military companies are often contracted to do things like guard bases overseas or provide security for government officials when they're traveling. And one example of a private military company is Constellus, which includes the American contractor that used to be named Blackwater. And the Wagner Group looks kind of similar to this. And when media reports refer to Wagner, they do often call it a private military company, and they refer to its employees as mercenaries. Kimberly Martin is a professor of political science at Barnard College, Columbia University. She says these labels are not particularly accurate. They're mercenaries in the sense that they're working on contract, um, but they know full well that they're working on behalf of the Russian state, and that's the only uh, state that Wagner works for. Some people have said, you know, is Wagner the, the Russian version of Blackwater? And my answer is not quite. Blackwater was much more a private company than Wagner actually is. 
Kimberly is a widely published expert on Russia, international security, and on organizations like Wagner. She's even testified before Congress on the subject. And she says that Wagner is a uniquely Russian creation. The Wagner Group has been essentially a contracting mechanism for the Russian Defense Ministry and especially for the Russian Military Intelligence Agency, what used to be known as the GRU and really still is known as the GRU. Um, And it's very flexible. So wherever the Russian state uh, needs a group of contractors to go um, and doesn't want to put regular Russian military uniformed forces under threat of casualties, they've been able to send the Wagner Group. Now, to an outsider, Wagner looks a lot like a Western private military company. For example, it often pays people a lot more than they would get in the regular armed forces. It employs a lot of ex-military personnel. And Wagner hires its people on contract, just like Western firms often do. They are like any, you know other private military companies, um, uh, they have the advantage of not having to worry about retirement payments and social service payments. And so it's really just more one-off. They have to pay for the contractors while they're on contract, and then they have to pay whatever death and casualty benefits they promised. Then there's the way that Wagner gets its contracts. Just like Western military contractors, it's awarded business by a defense ministry. But Wagner appears to get a lot more support from the government in Russia than a contractor in the West might expect. For instance, its training base is co-located with a Russian special forces facility, and its soldiers have been seen wearing Russian uniforms. They also use Russian weapons and other equipment, at least some of which appears to have been provided by the Russian government. We do know that in uh, the earlier use of the Wagner forces in eastern Ukraine in 2014-2015, that they were getting new um, military vehicles. And so that was an indication that they were being given those vehicles by the defense ministry. The type of work that Wagner does in different parts of the world looks a lot like what a private military company does. It guards people and installations like oil fields or mines. But look closer, and there's often a key difference here. Wagner, for its part, isn't just guarding the mines. It's also running some of those mines. So it's got that extra little twist on it that it's um, it, it also is making money in ways that are not related to the military services it's providing. And lastly, there's the way in which Wagner is run. Most Western-style contractors are discrete companies with their own CEOs. And while it might look from the outside as though Wagner is run that way, Kimberly says the fact is that Wagner has never had a Western-style boss, not even Yevgeny Prigozhin, who posed as the owner of Wagner and claimed falsely that he founded the group. He has been the one who does the arranging and the fixing. Um, But there's no evidence that he actually, quote unquote, owns the Wagner Group. It's not really clear even what that would mean. Private and public don't have the same kind of distinction in Russia that they do in the West. Kimberly says rather than actually managing Wagner, Prigozhin appears merely to have acted as a sort of middleman, arranging contracts between the government and the group's bureaucracy and making a lot of money in the process. So if he wasn't the owner of Wagner Group or the commander, who is? I don't think there's any evidence that they have an overall commander. They are a contracting mechanism. It would be probably done by somebody in the GRU. And um, there has been one report that uh, it's not at all um, verified that perhaps there's even an office in the GRU that has responsibility for coordinating the activities of these kinds of organizations. All of this means that while the Wagner Group might be an extremely profitable enterprise for its figurehead, it depends for its survival on the machinery of the Russian state and the goodwill of its operators in the Kremlin. And when that goodwill dissipates, as it appears to have done recently, the group struggles. And this crisis appears to have been a long time coming. Kimberly says Prigozhin's relationships in the Kremlin have been fraught from the start. 
The tension preceded the time that Prigozhin was in charge of Wagner. It dates back to when he was doing the cleaning contracts for the defense ministry. Um, people were reporting that he was stealing from them, and they stopped paying the contracts, and they sued each other, and he won a lot of the court cases. Prigozhin's loud criticism of Russian military leadership made relations with the Kremlin even more sour. He complained his troops weren't getting the ammunition they needed and then insulted the Russian defense minister. He thought he was protected, Kimberly says. But Prigozhin overestimated his importance both to Wagner and to the Kremlin. I think you could get rid of Prigozhin and it's going to keep on functioning as a contracting mechanism and they will find somebody else to be the fixer. The Wagner Group was useful to Russia because it was able to operate in the shadows on behalf of the state. Last weekend's activities, however, have brought Wagner into the full glare of the spotlight, which may have ended the group's usefulness in that regard. But Kimberly says there are many more organizations like Wagner where it came from. Keep in mind that Wagner is the one we know the most about. Wagner is the largest. Wagner is the most famous because Prigozhin keeps on getting himself in the news. Um, But there are a number of Russian um, organizations that are in a very similar situation to Wagner. So Wagner isn't unique inside Russia. You know, Adrian, this all makes me think about that organization Spectre and the James Bond series. You know the one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah? You know, the octopus logo, like super smart, living in the shadows, many tentacles. <laughs> a many tentacled uh, contracting organization. Yeah, it's like wrapping itself around everything. Military mining, oil extraction, the whole nine yards. I guess that's a recipe for some kind of success. That could be the plot to the next James Bond. It could indeed. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges and engineered by Catherine Silva. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. It was edited by our senior producer, VLA. Our supervising editor is Kaken Cannon. And the indicators are production of NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.